whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Brought to you by Rock Antenna, Germany's number one rock radio station. Mr. Daryl Jones, pleasure to meet you. My pleasure, Alex, real pleasure. You pretty much just arrived in Germany. Where do you come from? Oh, I came from Los Angeles. But actually, I hadn't been in Los Angeles even 24 hours before I'd been in Chicago for our Thanksgiving holiday. I spent uh, the holiday with my brother. And just before that, I was finishing up the tour with the Stones. Uh, we finished in Hollywood, Florida. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I feel like I'm, you know, my body hasn't quite caught up with the... Uh, I'm still circling the airport, I guess. A little, little bit, little bit yeah. slightly jet-lagged, yeah, I suppose. Slightly, yeah, but, yeah. I, but I feel good. I feel pretty good. How yeah. was uh, the, the final of the tour? We had a great time. In fact, you know, we'd been playing uh, stadium gigs. Yeah. And the last gig was in a small club at, I guess it was a, a, a casino. It was a 7,000-seat uh, venue uh, that actually had really pretty good sound, considering it was, you know, It's a casino. Like a, you know, a casino. <laughs> well, no, it was considering it's like an arena, I guess. You know, arenas are kind of notorious. But this was more set up like a theater, but a bit, very big theater. 7,000 seats is a lot. But uh, it brought the audience a lot closer. And just as the last gig of a series of gigs in, in stadiums, it felt quite special. And we had a great night. We um, successfully toured in the time of COVID. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very proud. And I'm sure we're all, you know, really happy that we got through the tour and, uh, and no one got sick. So yeah, it was a very successful tour. Were there any problems or was it more difficult to well, pull this tour through? Well, it was only difficult, you know, in the fact that we stayed in a kind of bubble. We were tested twice a week. We uh, did not meet with friends. We didn't do meet and greets. We stayed mostly to ourselves. Unless you could find a way, you know, to safely go out and have dinner at an outdoor venue. A lot of the, the gigs were in the south, so we were, you know, in the warm weather. So, you know, we could go out and, and dine outdoors in, in some of the places. And we had uh, some special dinners where we were sequestered away from the rest of the people in a restaurant. So we were really careful and got it done. Um, But to, um, not too much of the usual, you know, what one might expect the rock and roll lifestyle that yeah, was no, not going not on really as much of that no and i guess if you ask me if i could go out and and you know and hang and party and have to go home for another year or i could not party and stay on tour it's an easy you know thing to choose you know so we're uh, we're really proud that we were able to pull it off i suppose so um so now you're here in germany in hamburg mm -hmm. to present to the German audience, to the German bass community, what you brought with you, which is your very own bass <laughs> guitars. Yeah. About 10 years ago, I started manufacturing instruments, basses and guitars, actually. And I started playing on the instruments that I've, you know, that I've been uh, building on stage with the, with the Stones. As a matter of fact, the guitar to your, uh, to your left is an instrument that I played on the tour. On this very tour? On this last tour that we yeah. played, yeah, this, this, this last leg. Um, and these two instruments are actually instruments that I bought over in July, just before we started rehearsing for the tour. Thomas has been, you know, kind enough to be my, you know, sole uh, distributor here in, uh, in Germany um, yeah. and here in Europe for now. You know, he's, he's the first 
we're trying to, uh, you know, establish a new company. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. The company Jones Musical Instruments, yes. right? Uh, founded in 2014. Actually, yeah, I, I guess founded, founded yeah. in 2014, but I started even before then. I started okay. around 2011, not long after I took uh, like a luthier course. And now finally the step to Germany, to Europe. Yes. But how uh, do we have to imagine this? You starting to build the instruments. Did you meet with uh, professionals and talk with them about what kind of uh, instruments, what kind of wood, what kind of uh, specifics you need? Or did you stand in your garage and, and you know, work on the well, wood and, and polish it? And Well, kind of something in between those two things that you just mentioned. Basically what happened was I've been involved in designing instruments for a number of years. Uh, I have a signature instrument with Lakeland, which I still have. I'm very proud of that instrument. I'm very proud to be with that Chicago company. But I started working on designs at that point because the instrument that's with Lakeland is an instrument that was designed by me and, and a builder out of uh, the East Coast, Albi Balgosian. And I guess that's where I kind of got bitten by the bug of designing and and working with instruments, you know, outside of just playing. I took a luthier course, and I wasn't able to finish the course because I got called to go on tour, but I did finish an instrument. And I took that instrument to the guy who was the head of the luthier uh, school at uh, Musicians Institute in Los Angeles. I took it to him and said, I want to build more of these after we get it right. And he said, okay. And so we started working on the, the instrument that this eventually became. Just, you know, through trial and error, and with, I must say, you know, to be quite honest, um, Fender is, I grew up playing Fenders, and so um, that is the style instrument that I am most familiar with and that I'm most, most comfortable with and that I enjoy playing, and these instruments are very much based on the, you know, the Fender kind of model. Uh, the bases are alder bodies, uh, maple necks, and uh, rosewood fingerboards. Uh, the guitars are... Also, the Strats, uh, Strats uh, I call them the Stratham, is my uh, Stratocaster-type guitar. It's alder, with again, with a maple neck and, and uh, rosewood uh, fingerboards. I make a Tellum guitar yeah. uh, that is uh, either uh, alder or swamp ash, again, with maple neck and, uh, and either maple or, uh, or uh, rosewood uh, right. fingerboards. It's just something that I kind of fell in love with over the last 15 years. And, and over the last 10, I've been able to get things going. What and we are seeing here, we have two bases, one red metallic kind of looking uh, mm -hmm. and one in the grayish tone. Those seem to be kind of, you know, a precision uh, Fender bass. Those are more like jazz bases. Oh, th those are jazz bases. Yeah. And, and the, the one, one the, like the, bluish is yeah, the, the We're P. calling that mineral blue. All right. So, uh, what, is, what is the difference in comparison to the okay. all-known jazz and precision okay. Fender basses? Well, they're—I mean—they are—they're based on those instruments. Most uh, precision basses are alder body, you know, pickups in the, in the same placement that you see here. Basically, it's—it's a—it's uh, a modern, you know, version, but not too modern, of of those instruments. Yeah. And we just use some of the modern technology, CNC machines, to dial in. You know, so that we can recreate the instrument and have it, you know, have them all feel very, very close to each other. This instrument is called, the, the one that's most closely associated with the precision bass is called the Chatham bass. Yeah. And I've named it that because that's the area of Chicago that I grew up in. 
Southside. Yes, yeah, south side of Chicago, West Chatham is the name of the neighborhood that I, or the area that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we, you know, we started, I decided to name the, you know, the most basic instrument, the Chatham. But as, as anybody who's familiar with my career, bass players particularly, know that uh, for many years I played a jazz bass. And so the bass that mostly closely resembles the jazz bass from Fender is a bass that I call the Gresham bass. And Gresham is the next neighborhood over from the one that I grew up in. And so that's where those two names came from. I make a Telecaster, as I mentioned earlier. And so we're calling that the Tellum guitar. Yeah. And the Stratocaster type guitar, we're calling the Stratham guitar. And so your jazz bass sound, mm -hmm. this is the, the sound that got you into the position where you're at playing with the Stones in 1993. How did that happen and how, what was going on back then when you showed up there, played with the guys? for the guys to show you're the right one and you got the sound they need? Well, um, I... Uh, How do you become a Rolling Stone? <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I don't know that I'm actually a Rolling Stone, but uh, I've been playing along for more than 25 years now, so I guess that's something. Basically, I was a really big fan of Keith Richards' Expensive Winos band. Two of those guys, Steve Jordan... And Charlie Drayton are very good friends of mine from when I moved to New York and started playing with Miles. When I heard that record, Talk is Cheap, it really opened my eyes to rock and roll, that particular kind of rock and roll. And so I really wanted to, uh, to be honest, I wanted to play with, in that band. When the bass chair opened up, another friend of mine, Jerome Smith, got the gig, which I'm, I'm very happy for, for him. He's a great musician and a great guy. About a year later, a friend of mine, another friend of mine, called me and said Bill Wyman was leaving the Stones. And he said, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get the management's phone number for you. And you were like, I suppose, like, he's not leaving the band. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, because, you know, the, those rumors that we've all been hearing for yeah. many, many years or had been, been hearing for many, many years before that. But then I found out that, you know, he convinced me that, no, I think it's real this time. I'm, I'm really hearing that he's going. And so I called that number that he got me and, uh, and asked if there was a list of players and, you know, mentioned that I'd like to get on the list. Who was answering your call? Um, it was somebody <laughs> in Mick Jagger's management. I don't know. I've actually tried to find out recently who that was, but I'm drawing a blank on that. I'm, I still haven't gotten that exact information. So a few months passed. I got a call from them, and uh, I went and auditioned. I did a couple of auditions with the Stones. Yeah. I did one in New York in May of 1983. And where we played through a bunch of the, you know, the well-known Stone songs. And it felt good to me. I, I enjoyed playing with them. I yeah. guess if I go back a little bit, I was going out with a, with, a, with a woman who's now a very good friend of mine in Italy. And she was listening to a lot to the Steel Wheels record. And at that time, I mean, obviously, I, you know, grew up in the, the 60s and 70s and 80s. I was aware of the Stones, but I wasn't really a, an avid fan. But she, so listening to that record, I just remember her being so enamored of it and thinking to myself, I really do think the way I play could work with that band, you know. But of course, Bill Wyman was playing with them. Yeah. So fast forward to Bill Wyman leaving, that was, you know, kind of piqued my interest because I remember feeling like I think the way I play just naturally could work with them. And so maybe that's where the story really starts. But uh, fast forward, I auditioned for them on, you know, all of the old tunes, well-known songs. They went off and wrote the songs for Voodoo Lounge and had me back in to play through those songs. And it was at that time that they hired me. 
to record the record, Voodoo Lounge. Yeah. And so I started recording that in November of uh, 93. They continued working on it. And in January of 94, they, you know, told me that they'd like for me to go on tour with them. Yeah. What I sometimes think, you know, listening to the records, I think, you know, in the bass section, there's so much going on in the lower end where I sometimes even thought, wait, is he playing a five string? Because mm. it's so, so low. You know? But, but you're a, fi a four string guy. Yeah, right? I'm a four string guy. I have, there was actually, there was one night I played a five string with the Stones. It was on one of the new songs that has a low, a note lower than E. It's not Ghost Town. It's one of the hits before that. Uh, I can't remember the name of the song right now, but I played, even when I, when I, when we recorded that song, I don't know if I'm, if I'm on the original recording, but when we started to play it live, I wasn't using a five string. But one night I thought to myself, well, I'll try it, you know. But for me, it's a four-string, mm -hmm. it's a four-string uh, band, basically. It's a four-string bass. Yeah. That music is, 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 is meant to be played on, on a four-string bass, yeah. basically. Yeah. I don't want to close the door on myself, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I think it, it suits the music much better. Yeah. And what, you know, suits the music or... What I kind of <clears throat> think I have to say is, like, I, I want to offer my condolences because oh, you, um, you know, lost a long-term friend and yes. a colleague and the foundation of the backbone of the yeah, band. Absolutely. Um, Charlie Watts died in August and mm -hmm. has passed away. What did that mean for you, um, like, mm -hmm. personally and, well, uh, well, with the band? Because you toured so so quickly you went on the road again well we had already planned to tour yeah. without charlie we you know he yeah, wasn't yeah, well yeah. and steve jordan who i mentioned earlier from um, the expensive winos had been uh, had been tapped to come on and in charlie's stead yeah so we knew that we knew that that charlie wasn't yeah. you know wasn't well enough to play this tour we obviously didn't expect him to pass and just as you char characterized it man it's like losing you know a great friend, an incredible musical colleague, and just uh, um, as one of uh, you know my colleagues who work with the Stones, Pierre de Beauport said, you know Charlie Watts was a extraordinary example of a human being, you know, in in every way, just a unique individual, uh, kind and gentle, and funny, in a way that many people were not aware of, you know, just a great guy. Just a great guy and a great, self-taught, incredibly unique musician who just basically helped establish rock and roll drumming, you know, along with a few, you know, of his contemporaries. He had a unique, a certain style. Mm -hmm. Now, Steve Jordan, of course, is, is a marvelous drummer as well. Yes. But mm -hmm. th there is a different style or I, I suppose, well, no. you, you did not try to copy Bill Wyman. Right. Uh, well, I, I suppose Steve Jordan isn't isn't the kind of guy who who's, who even you know maybe allowed to to try to copy what Charlie did. So how how's that affecting the sound? How is how is it how is it different to stand on the stage and and you know well, having Charlie behind you anymore, but but a different kind well, of. Well, the first thing I'll say is Steve Jordan is a is a very astute student of this music and has been all of his life. You know, he's, and he's a, a student of all sorts of different music, but the Stones are a big part of, you know, of, of, of what he studied, you know, you know, all his life, you know. And so um, he's very much aware of what Charlie does. And, it's, and as a matter of fact, it has been him that has really 
um, in a way, verbally clarified why Charlie's playing is so unique. And, uh, you know, based on what Steve said to me, he says, Charlie's self-taught. So uh, when you try to play like a musician who is doesn't really come out of any of the schools of playing that you, you know, that you kind of know, it's much more difficult to, um, to play like them because they're so unique. Yeah. And so I would agree that Steve did not go, you know, come on and try to play like Charlie, but he's very, very much aware of what Charlie did. And he's done a lot of homework, um, both recently and over the years to really understand, you know, the function that Charlie, you know, the, the you know, what, what Charlie's function in the band is. Um, I think, you know, in the same way that I didn't try to play like Bill, but there were certain things in a Rolling Stones song that have to be played by the bass player if that's the song that you're playing. And so in, the, in that same way, I think that there are certain things that he has, you know, that, that, that he has, you know, taken and, 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 and internalized. And so um, we were listening back, you know, three quarters of the way through the tune, listening back. He and I and Keith were uh, at dinner one night listening back to, to some of the gigs, and, uh, or little parts of the gigs. And one of the things that really struck me was the band still sounds like the Rolling Stones. And I think Steve was the right guy to do that, to bring what he brings, to bring his expertise as a musician who's played a number of different styles. Um, the thing that he and Charlie have in common is that they're both, you know, fans of jazz music. And, uh, and I think that's also another reason why Charlie's sound is so unique because he is a very much, very much, he's very much a fan of, of uh, and influenced by heavily. I think that's musicians. that's one of the m most important answers kind of you mm -hmm. already gave away without me asking mm -hmm. is like, If we see the Stones again in Germany, is it still the Rolling Stones? Yeah, I think very much it is. I think very much it is because Steve is conscientious about about that, about not, you know, I guess, you know, very much in the way that, 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 that I try to be very conscientious about not changing the, you know, the feel. Obviously, it's going to change some because I'm not, you know, Bill Wyman and he's not Charlie Watts, but to try to keep the essence of that I think has been very important for, for he and I. And so, um, to my mind, there are some differences. Yeah. But to my mind, it still sounds like the Stones. A couple of months or, or years even ago, I, I saw an interview of you saying um, that you had the feeling the Stones sounded or played like the best uh, since, since you started out there. Yeah, um, no, I don't think that's just... In, in regards to Keith or what they are doing on the guitar, um, is it still like that, or, or you know, do you think just like fine wine, <laughs> you only get better? Or <laughs> no, I, I really do think. Well, someone pointed out to me something about the band in the period after Steel Wheels, before I joined, and Voodoo Lounge. They all went on the road with their own bands. All four of them: Mick did, Keith did, Ronnie did, Charlie did. Charlie did it with a big band and along with Bernard Fowler singing beautifully, beautiful music. Mick did it, Ronnie did it, um, and Keith, of course, did it with, you know, the expensive winos. I think in that period, they all became better musicians. 
you know, leading a band, you know, because I've, I'm starting to do it more and more myself, it, 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 it causes you to cover ground that you, didn't, you don't cover if you don't lead a band. And so I think they all got to be much better musicians in the period before I, right before I joined the band. And I think that has kind of continued over the, you know, over these last 25 plus years. And so I don't think that it's just the fact that, you know, that I came on or just the fact that Steve is now on. I think they got to be better musicians. Which is the, an experience they made, which you already had. Because, you know, mm -hmm. from looking at the list, who have you worked with? I mean, Miles Davis and Sting and Peter Gabriel and Joe Cocker and B.B. King and Neil Young, Rod Stewart, Eric. Mm -hmm. you, you, you worked with everyone. <laughs> which Some is, of, I've worked with a few. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is there a certain thing, you know, standing on stage uh, with these guys, which is kind of like super particular about them and, and which is... Like every every evening, you you think like, wow, that is really striking, and, and nobody nobody can do it like they do it. Is there that? Well, to be honest with you, though I grew up in Chicago, I played with a soul artist, a guy named Otis Clay, but I never really played with a blues band. And this, the Stones are a blues band, and so. I would say that's a that's that's one of the things that's different. I've never really played with a real blues band. I would say that that's it. I would say that even though, uh, as Keith said to me once, when we recorded "Blue and Lonesome," you know, all of those all of those blues songs written by the blues greats, Keith said to me, we listened back to the record once, and he said, "See, that's a set list." of what we'd have played before we start writing the pop stuff. You know what I mean? And for him, you know, I guess, you know, satisfaction is the pop stuff, you know. Um, but that's, that, that blues um, feeling and the, the, their, their um, desire to play that music authentically is what comes through. And I think that's what is particular about the, the Stones, the fact that, that it's, it's essentially a blues band. I think your birthday is pretty much coming up. Yes, my um, birthday is coming up in a, just under a, a little over a week. Yes, you're becoming. I'll be sixty. I'll be sixty on my birthday. So you're you're still a couple a couple of years, you know, behind the other yeah, guys. Yeah. What what is it that still drives them? You know, to to go on a tour constantly because they obviously don't need to do it for the money or for the sales or. The fame? It's the love of the music. I think it, you know, they love what they're doing. And uh, just like, you know, all musicians, I'm looking at the pictures in this room, I'm looking at Jimi Hendrix and, and you know, all of the, the, the blues guys. Um, you know, Buddy Guy is still playing, you know, and he's 80 years old, I think. You don't lose that. I don't think as a musician you don't really lose that. Um, other, you know, players, you might come up with kind of come up upon come upon an obstacle but that it doesn't allow you to keep playing but for those of us you know who are lucky enough to continue to play and for those of them who've been you know who've continued to play and been healthy enough and well enough and sane enough to you know to continue to play um why wouldn't you i mean why would you you know the thing that feeds you that feeds your soul of course you're going to do it until you can't do it anymore and i think that's The case with them. Um, no, it's obvious that they love what they do. 
and they're gonna do it until they can't anymore. And, the, and you're know. gonna do it with them. I don't know how long they're gonna do it, but I would like to see it through. And uh, I, I certainly hope that I will, and I hope that uh, that it goes on for a while more. You know, for a while longer, because I think the band at this at this period is playing very much as well as it can be without Charlie Watts. You know, I mean, you just finished the last leg of, of this tour the no filter tour and just wednesday i think you you posted on social media like yeah that's it that was a good ride um i i hope for the next one to come right along yeah is there anything planned already or there isn't wh what's any, going on there isn't anything planned but uh you know we're all hoping that there will be more Do you know any, like, is there anything you heard of, like, when maybe fans in Germany? No, I don't, no, I couldn't, I, I, I really couldn't say when something else is going to happen, but I I do have high hopes that it will. And and like I said, the band is playing great. Um, and, you know, you know, God, God willing, you know, we will continue. I think everyone is going to be looking forward to that. <laughs> I certainly will. In the in the past couple of years, I, I suppose you you had some experiences, you know, behind this behind the stage or behind the curtain. Were there kind of like moments where I thought, "Wow, this is this is my personal Spinal Tap moment"? <laughs> hmm. Spinal Tap moment. It's been so long since I've seen that movie that when I refer to it now, I'm I'm not I'm not completely sure what I'm referring to, but. Just those funny, you know, funny moments where somebody starts talking about, you know, not this bit, that bit. No, the middle bit. No, not the middle bit. The, you know, the first bit, you know. But other than that, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, parody is parody and, and reality is reality. Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, I, I have to admit there have been, you know, one or two moments where you think to yourself, well, that, that does sound a little bit like Spinal Tap. And they're, they're obviously, you know, what, what you as fans or what we as fans, you know, heard about stories about Keith or whatever. Uh, were there moments where I thought, you guys are kind of crazy? <laughs> you know, I, I missed most of the really, you know, the really wild years. I missed most of that. By the time I came along in 80, 80 you know, November, end of 83, 84, um, everybody had kind of settled in. We were, you know, we were all still having a bit of fun. But, uh, yeah, no, you know, the, it's funny how after a while you just, you know, the, the, the thing that's really left that everybody's living for is the music, you know. And I think that by the time I came on, that was the most important thing. And I guess it always has been for them. Um, but uh, some of the, um, some of the you know, worst behavior or some of the most extreme behavior was already over before how, I joined the band, I have to say. How much of the usual, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll stuff is there in the current life of well, this uh, last year, in the Stones very, and around the well, Stones? Well, this last year there was very little of that because of COVID, you know, and for the fact that we were, you know, kind of sequestered. Um, so there wasn't very much, you know, there was a lot of rock and roll, but not a lot of the other, you know, because it just, it just, well, it just wasn't possible to safely do that, you know. Yeah, we'll see what the future holds, man. You know, we'll see what, you know, we'll see, you know, what changes, you know, in the, in the coming months. And hopefully we can get to a place where we can be a little bit, you know, have a little bit more fun off the stage in comparison to all the fun that we have on the stage.
and the fun you have on the stage because you know I, I just think of all the records I regularly listen to mm -hmm. and for me personally it's still China Light is mm. the best concert movie mm. of all time because mm. you know mm. you came together with uh, my favorite director Martin how all right. how is that for you you know you know standing there in that venue and and I think Lisa Fisher's voice was is incredible yeah. Yeah. and everyone going on there there was that one story I think even in the movie where there was this discussion about the lights mm -hmm. uh, which were too bright and if Mick stood too long in one place you would be set on fire. Mm. I don't know, how, how did he experience all of this? And Well, I think that was maybe more his experience than mine. <laughs> I, it For me, it was just a great experience. Again, like you say, I'm a Martin Scorsese fan as well. Uh, and to be playing on stage with these guys, the Rolling Stones, Marty, Martin Scorsese, New York City, uh, the Beacon Theater, which is one of my favorite venues, it was just a really wonderful experience. You know, it was really great. And And... And it's wonderful that it was documented and that uh, there were a lot of cameras. I think I counted 17 different camera operators and somebody told me that there were more. Is it kind of weird for you, for, you know, to stand on a stage in, in that, in, you know, in that place at that time and, and being like, this isn't a concert anymore, this is a movie? <laughs> no, well, or? it's interesting because, to be honest, it was a concert for us. There was a lot of guys standing around pointing cameras at us, but it wasn't a movie for us. It's a movie when we want it. It's a movie when I watch it. But when I was when we when I was performing, it was you no. Know, we we're playing a gig. We we're playing a gig. You know, with some some very cool musicians. Jack White being on the stage as well. And yeah. I, yeah, that was cool. I just ran into him recently. Yeah. You know, I was at his pressing plan in Detroit. We played in Detroit, so I went out to um, you know to Third Man and record store and literally a pressing plant that's a beautiful thing in these in this day and time so it was great to see him and great to uh to see that facility it's uh it's very impressive it really is man buddy guy there's a scene there's a scene in the movie where he's in between lyrics on uh, champagne and reefer and he it, for me it just stops the movie it's almost like he He's in between the lyrics and he turns and kind of looks down and back. And it's, it's just one of those moments that's just, it's the gravity of that moment is, is, you know, it's like a black hole, you know. Are there still moments, I, I mean, you're kind of used to, you know, touring and flying around the world and, and playing on in huge venues with the Stones. Are you kind of used to this or are there moments where you think like in the middle of a song, Wow. <laughs> like looking no. around and, and realizing everything all over. That's an interesting Or, question because it's both. It really is both. The, the, uh, another film that came out, the, the, the Havana gig. I've been playing with the Stones, you know, 25 years at that point. During that gig, I remember looking across the stage and looking at them and feeling with the music as it was being played, as it was revealing itself, and really getting an overwhelming sense of gratitude that I can be a part of this music with the, you know, with this special ensemble in this special place, Cuba, with these, you know, incredible, with this incredible audience. And I really, I mean, it kind of, you know, it, I, it actually I'm, I'm nearly brought me to tears just how much I appreciate, appreciate it in that moment. And that came 25 years in. So you do get used to touring and you do get used to, you know, the big crowds and stuff like that. 
But there is always moments where you come, you know, I feel grateful and it comes through just how special it is to be doing what I'm doing. You know, I think all musicians, uh, it's one of the things that I tell students, I'm, you know, doing this, uh, this uh, seminar a little bit later on today. It's one of the things that I always tell musicians, whatever gig you're playing, what an absolute honor it is to be a musician and to play in front of an audience of one, your mother, play in front of your children. You know, it's, it's, it's an, it's, um, music is such a magical thing that I think we all, you know, need to stand in awe of it because it, um, you know, it very likely has changed the world, you know, and hopefully it will continue to do so because God knows we need it now. The foundation of the Rolling Stones, that's kind of your sound. You know, you, you are the backbone. And it was an honor <laughs> to talk to you. Okay, my pleasure. And uh, I hope you're going to, you know, talk to the guys. And once they think about, oh, I think we're done, I think we might, you know, quit. I hope you're going to be the one in the back and, and go, yeah. oh, no, one more. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that will even be necessary. But believe me, if, you know, if that becomes necessary, I will be the one that, do, that does that. But I, uh, I think there's a lot more music that can come out of the Stones. And so and I'm hoping that, uh, that we'll get to share that with, uh, with, you know, with the audiences. What's coming first? Are you going? Uh, are you going to tour again, or going to the studio? And I don't know. Let's hope both. Let's hope both are in the very near future. That would be great, wouldn't it? But you don't know nothing yet. No, no, I know nothing about what's what's coming up. I don't think anything has been decided. We've, we've, we're we're uh, one week and three days from the end of the tour, so I don't think anything has been decided yet. But we can definitely hope and send positive vibrations that uh, that you know more will come the end of the last of the tour is so close only like 10 days mm -hmm. have passed mm -hmm. why are you not at home and resting because you were you know at home with your family having thanksgiving yeah. and then you're on the road on the plane again well <laughs> i am also very very excited about you know sharing the instruments that i designed and am manufacturing now and so And I'm also excited about part of the whole thing with building instruments and teaching. It's, it's, they, they, they are connected to me, you know. The whole wonder of being in a music shop, the wonder of learning music, the wonder of teaching, because I always learn something when I teach. That's why I'm here. I'm actually excited to, um, to hear from, you know, the bass community in Hamburg, um, I do have a kind of special affinity for this town. I've got some very good friends who I met here. And uh, I think that Chicago is even the sister city city it's, of, it of is. Hamburg. Yeah. So I think from the time that I first started coming here, I have a special affinity. So I'm here to share and to learn from, you know, the base, base community and from the music community in general. Um, I, I would like to, to spend more time here. And uh, so this is just the beginning of it. And I definitely like to, to, you know, to walk into a club one day and see a guy playing a Jones musical instrument, you know. Everyone listening right now, come to Guitar Number One in Hamburg. These basses, the Jones basses, look fabulous. They play, you, you can play it just wonderfully. 
and just alone the smell in this music store mm -hmm. you know it's a certain smell it you get here and it's, it's great, great. It's and, and it smells yeah. just like music and uh, mr daryl jones it was a pleasure to meet you thank you very much pleasure is mine alex thank you whole lot of talk the interviews that rock subscribe to our channel for more rocking podcasts